things I love about this time of year. It's vacation Bible school and annual conference and getting my own big kids home from school. But I must tell you that one of my favorite things as someone who loves the spoken word is commencement speeches. I love commencement speeches. I don't think they're just for graduates of high school or college. I think they're for any of us that are seeking to make meaning out of our lives. And who doesn't want to live a big and meaningful life, right? And I think especially in a season when the church is preaching about leadership, I think commencement speeches often offer really beautiful sermons on what leadership can look like. And I think if you listen closely, whether the speaker says so or not, a lot of the wisdom you find in commencement speeches often comes from scripture. They've become so popular lately that you'll see them turned into little gift books that you can offer your graduates for graduation gifts, and I love them. I thought I'd share a couple of my favorites with you this morning. Perhaps the one that started the whole trend of graduation speeches gone to books is Anna Quinlan's Villanova speech from 2000. She actually did not give the speech live. Some of you might recall there were protests on campus, but she emailed her speech to one of the graduates. The graduate loved it so much she shared it with some of the other graduates who loved it so much they shared it. Before long it went viral and it was turned into a book. And I want to share a little bit from her speech turned book. Anna Quinlan says this, get a life, a real life, not a manic pursuit of the next promotion, the bigger paycheck, the larger house. Do you think you'd care so very much about those things if you blew an aneurysm one afternoon or found a lump in your breast? Get a life in which you notice the smell of salt water pushing itself on a breeze over seaside heights. A life in which you stop and watch how a red-tailed hawk circles over the water gap, or the way a baby scowls with concentration when she tries to pick up a Cheerio with her thumb and first finger. Turn off your cell phone. Turn off your regular phone, for that matter. Keep still. Be present. Get a life in which you are not alone. Find people you love and who love you. And remember that love is not leisure, it is work. Each time you look at your diploma, remember that you are still a student, still learning how to best treasure your connection to others. Pick up the phone, send an email, write a letter, kiss your mom, hug your dad, get a life in which you are generous. Look around at the azaleas in the suburban neighborhood where you grew up. Look at a full moon hanging silver in a black, black sky on a cold night and realize that it is the best thing ever and that you have no business taking it for granted. Care so deeply about its goodness that you want to spread it around. Once in a while, take money that you would have spent on beer and give it to charity. Work in a soup kitchen, be a big brother or sister. All of you want to do well, but if you do not do good, too, then doing well will never be enough. I think that's such beautiful advice for all of us at any age. Perhaps one of the most famous recent speeches turned a book is by the author of the Harry Potter series. She gave a speech on the power of imagination at real life, and J.K. Rowling said this to Harvard grads a few years ago. He is welcome to take over. We are all the backup crew today anyway. <laughs> J.K. Rowling said this to recent Harvard grads. She said, if you choose to use your status and influence to raise your voice on behalf of those who have no voice, if you choose to identify not only with the powerful, but with the powerless, if you retain the ability to imagine yourselves into the lives of those who do not have your advantages, then it will not only be your proud families who celebrate your existence, but thousands and millions of people whose reality you have helped to change. We do not need magic to change the world. 
We carry all the power we need inside ourselves already. We have the power to imagine better. And I think so much of the good news that we proclaim as Christians is about our power to imagine better. All of these speeches tell us that an essential part of leadership, an essential part of any life well lived, is trusting that what we do with our lives matter, that what we do makes a difference, it changes the world. But trust can be tough in today's world. I had the opportunity a few weeks ago to visit my daughter and her boyfriend at their alma mater over Mother's Day weekend. It was close to graduation. And at all the bookstores off campus, there were these commencement speech books. And you know I'm sort of a sucker for them, so I'd check them out. But in the midst of this, I saw the same book over and over. I think Kimberly's got the cover for us. Assume the worst. And I thought that is a graduation speech designed for a generation that has lost a little bit of faith in the world that they are inheriting. And you can't really blame them. We have access to more bad news faster than any other people in history. From school shootings to poverty to international conflict, it hits us in our cell phones at every hour of every day, and it can lead to a bit of cynicism. Assume the worst and you won't be caught off guard, this author advises. But despite the cynicism, he had a message that I loved. You can't assume that the world is just going to get better. You have to do something to make the world better. Despite all of his talk about assuming the worst, I loved the conclusion he reached. He said this. He said, if I were speaking to actual graduates, this was obviously a book of cynicism, if I were speaking to actual graduates, I could look out over the crowd and predict with absolute certainty that some of you are blessed with monster talent and you will do amazing things. You won't change the whole world, but you'll change somebody's world and for the better. And just as inevitably, some of you won't. Well, this is clearly a book of adult satire with some significant adult language to go with it. I have to warn you if you pick it up. It's not an actual commencement speech, but his point resonated with me. Some of us will change our little corner of the world for the better and some of us won't. Some of us will imagine better, as J.K. Rowling suggests. Some of us will spread goodness, as Anna Quinlan suggests. Some of us will feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit the imprisoned, help the poor, speak out for the voiceless, as Jesus encourages us to do. The bottom line is that some of us will lead, and some of us won't. But why? Terry talked last week about our need to be willing to take risks to be the first one in the crowd to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our Lord. Who in any crowd is going to be the first person to do that? Who's going to be the essential first follower? The true character of graduation speeches that I love so much is that notion that anybody hearing that speech could be the one. We all have that potential, the potential to change the world. And a fundamental question of theology is why some of us choose to do it and some of us don't. It's that pesky issue of free will that I love so much, but it forces us to ask why. We all are made in the very image of God. We all have greatness within us. Why do some of us choose to act upon it and some of us not? We all have a choice. And even though I may only be the part-time pastor, I think that part of our willingness to exercise that choice and take the risk is having trust in something larger than ourselves. 
I think we need to have trust in God to be willing to take the risk to step out and do good in the world. You see, our concerns are not new. We are not the first people in history to think that we have inherited a troubled world. If we open the prayer book of the Bible, the book of Psalms, we see that King David, the author of so many of those Psalms, struggled really with the very same issues that we do. By the time he reached old age, he had been forced to defend his kingdom and his life and his family so many times that he could have grown cynical. He had succeeded at so many things, but he had failed also at so many. He had seen dreams fulfilled and he had seen dreams devastated. But as a man and a leader, he held on to his trust in God. And his words still speak to us beautifully about how to react to an uncertain world. I want you to listen to the first half of Psalm 37, which King David wrote late in his life. It might have been a commencement speech of sorts for those he knew would follow him into leadership. And I want you to hear how it speaks to you. I'm actually gonna read it twice in two different translations. It's part of a practice called Lectio Divina, which we'll talk a little bit more about in a moment. But for now, I just want you to sit back and relax, close your eyes if you like, and hear the words of King David and see if anything strikes you. David said this, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will cause you to have the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. So many of the beautiful passages we know by heart actually come out of Psalm 37. I want you to just hear it one more time. I'm gonna read it this time from the Common English Bible. It's a newer translation that's come into favor and I enjoy the way they've translated this. Listen to it again and see if there's a particular word or passage that strikes you today. Trust in the Lord and do good, King David says. Live in the land and farm faithfulness. Enjoy the Lord and he will give you what your heart asks. Commit your way to the Lord, trust him. He will act and will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, your justice like high noon. Be still before the Lord and wait for him. Don't get upset when someone gets ahead, someone who invents evil schemes. Let go of anger and leave rage behind. Don't get upset, it will lead only to evil. Because evildoers will be eliminated, but those who hope in the Lord, they will possess the land. In just a little while, the wicked won't exist. If you go looking around their place, they won't be there. But the weak will inherit the land. They will enjoy a surplus of peace. They're beautiful words. And I love the reminder that we're not the first people in history that have felt like there were a lot of bad things going on around us. And I love the way King David encourages us to react in the face of a troubled world. He says to trust in the Lord, not the sort of trust that sits on its hands waiting for something to get better. David was never one to stand by and do nothing, just waiting for something good to happen. Here are the whole phrase. Trust in the Lord 
and do good. Trust in the Lord is an active sort of trust. So often in scripture, trust is called out as the flip side of fear. Whereas fear paralyzes us, trust empowers us. David says this over and over again in the Psalms. He says, whenever I am afraid, I put my trust in you. When I trust in God, I won't be afraid. The people will have no fear of bad news when they trust in the Lord. Over and over again, we get this assurance. The Bible, in fact, commands us in book after book, verse after verse, over 140 times not to be afraid. Do you know Jesus' most frequent command? Do not be afraid. But if trust is the opposite of fear, I think it's important that we really acknowledge what that trust looks like. And trust in the Lord is a trust that works for good. It's always amazing to me that I can read a passage of scripture over and over again and always hear something new. And this happened to me recently with Psalm 37. Some of you know we have a Wednesday morning women's Bible study here at Salem. And a few weeks ago, we used Psalm 37 as the basis for our discussion. And we did the practice of Lexio Divina, where we just really read the passage a few times slowly, often in different translations. It's a wonderful summertime practice if you were trying to slow down a bit, because it encourages you to just read a passage multiple times and hear what God might be saying to you. I will tell you, it is contrary to everything I have ever been taught as a lawyer. In my career as a lawyer, I have been taught to read as fast as possible, find the answer to the question, whatever the question may be, and move on quickly in six minute increments before the bill gets too high. And I think a lot of us read scripture the same way. If we're gonna sit down and read it at all, we wanna read as much as possible so we feel like we've accomplished something, right? I heard a story of a pastor who handed out third grade Bibles and encouraged the kids to go home and read the entire book of Matthew over the summer. And he said by the end of the day, half those kids sent notes saying, I read it all today because they thought that was better. <laughs> the faster we read, we think it's better, but I encourage you to slow down because you might find something new. And that happened to me this time when we read the passage because what struck me is that David doesn't just say to trust in the Lord and do good, I remembered that. He goes on to explain that we do good by farming faithfulness. And for some reason in this particular season of life, that struck me. You know, my parents and aunt, not my parents, my grandparents, my, parents were accountants. <laughs> my, but my grandparents, my aunts and my uncles, they all farmed in rural Missouri. I've seen what farming looks like. But what struck me this time was a much more recent memory. I had an opportunity this spring to take what I'll call a bucket list trip to the Willamette Valley to see bud break in the vineyards. And bud break is that magical moment when the vines first come back to life in the spring. And you see the green pop out and you see the baby grapes start to form. And it's gorgeous and magical and mysterious and wonderful. And I loved waking up in the morning and walking through the vineyards, because every morning there was a little bit more green, a few more leaves, just a little bit more life. But as I walked through the vineyards in the morning, I was reminded of something else. Farming is hard, hard work. I didn't just see the leaves magically opening. I saw pruning and tilling and staking and planting new vines and tending old vines and cutting out growth that wasn't gonna come back that year. I saw debates about when to irrigate and when to fertilize and when to use a machine and when to do it by hand. You see early, early in the morning, a lot of hard work. Those wine growers in Oregon don't pull up their Adirondack chairs and watch bud break and assume that good wine is just gonna happen. They trust that good wine can happen and that trust makes them get up at daybreak and work every single day. 
And King David is telling us that our faith is like that too. It requires work. It asks something of us. We believe that good can happen, but we are a part of doing it. Trust in the Lord and therefore do good, King David tells us. It has to be farmed. Commit your way, hope in the Lord, work for peace. Be gracious, be generous, be kind. Trust that God will use those actions to change the world. We don't have to do everything, thanks be to God. It is not all on us, but we do have to do our part. The Psalms, like the best commencement speeches, remind us that what we do matters. We need to trust in the Lord, set aside our fears, and actually do something. Adam Hamilton, the pastor at the Church of the Resurrection that so many of us admire, has a new book out this summer. It's an actual full-length book, not based on a commencement speech, and he talks about fear. He talks about all kinds of fears that plague people, and I commend it to you if you're looking for a solid theology read over the summer. But the fear he talked about that really resonated with me was our fear that our lives might not be meaningful. That the reason some of us don't try to do anything to change the world is because we're so afraid that we can't do enough to change the world. We fear that our gifts, our passions, our talents, our resources, whatever they may be, just aren't enough. And so we don't try to do anything. And this is where trust comes in. Just because we think we can't make a big difference doesn't mean we can't make any difference at all. Because just as surely as God has given us free will, he's given us his love. And very often our best shot at changing the world is simply to share that love. Jesus says so with enough clarity to make any lawyer proud and I keep the passage hanging in my house where I can see it every day. He says this, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your being and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. You must love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets depend on these two commands. Adam Hamilton goes on to say that as grand as this command may sound, the mission is something that can be pursued in our day in, day out living, beginning with simple acts. We can fear that our lives will have been insignificant or meaningless unless we accomplish something big, but that is a false fear. Clearly, few people accomplish something truly big with their lives, and it's not the big thing that will ensure that our lives have meaning. Rather, the sum total of hundreds and thousands of small acts that we do across the course of our lives is what truly gives our lives meaning. Small things done with great love change the world. It's commonly cited as St. Teresa of Calcutta, Mother Teresa's words to live by. Can you imagine a commencement speech given by Mother Teresa? Mother Teresa never swung by my alma mater, but I have been impressed by words that she spoke in Harvard in 1982. Those of you that have worked with me in the hunger advocacy and justice missions of the church when we're at Epworth or Kingdom House or The Haven have probably heard me quote Mother Teresa on this many times. She said to Harvard grads back in the day, yes, there is hunger. Maybe not only the hunger for a piece of bread, but there is a terrible hunger for love. And if you continue to read Mother Teresa on the issue of hunger, what she says that really has impacted my life is that anytime we hand somebody a piece of bread when they're hungry, it's never just a piece of bread. It's a transformational act of love to give a person what they need. She lived her whole life based on that. Small acts done with great love 
can change the world. It may not be our full-time mortgage-paying job that leads us into changing the world. I have written municipal trash contracts to pay my living. But these small things we do, our volunteer work, our acts of service, the way we raise our children, the way we talk to our neighbors, the way we reach out to a stranger in need, these things are small acts of love that can transform the world. We have to trust that it's not all on us. We are a part of God's larger work. We trust in the words that Paul so famously told the church in Rome when he said that God uses all things for good, even our smallest acts, even our acts and our efforts that fail. God uses all things for good. So we can reach out and take action without fear, trusting that we're not alone in our efforts. We are, as the Apostle Paul went on to explain to the church in Corinth, co-workers in God's service. It's not up to us to change the world alone, but it is up to us to do our part. If you can't feed a thousand hungry people, Mother Teresa went on to say, just feed one. We all have a part to play. Someone plants and someone waters, we work together and we trust God to make our efforts grow. Because the reality is that most big things aren't done by one person alone. It takes a village. <laughs> we work together, we raise our children, we make sure nobody falls too hard. It takes all of us working together. And the small things matter. Those acts of kindness, they add up and they make a difference that can change the world. One small loving action at a time, a kind word spoken, a pair of shoes sent to a child, a meal served at a homeless shelter. Small act by small act together with one another and trusting in God's love for all his children, we do the big thing. We transform the world. I've got one more story. I'm gonna call the band up and let them be getting ready while I share it. You know, I am no expert on Catholic saints, but there is another St. Teresa I admire very much and I wanna send you out with her story. It's St. Teresa of the Little Flower as opposed to Mother Teresa of Calcutta. She was born in 1886. She was the youngest of nine children, five of whom lived. Her mother died when she was only four years old. As a result of that, she got a special dispensation from the Pope to enter the convent where all of her older sisters were when she was only 15 years old. She desperately wanted to be a missionary, a female missionary in the late 1800s. It was what she felt called to do. She struggled with tuberculosis. Her health was never good. She lived nine short years, never leaving that convent. Didn't get to follow her dream. And she lamented, really lamented, that her life wasn't meaningful, that her life was too small. She often referred to herself as the tiniest of God's flowers. And she struggled with that same desire to do something big and meaningful that so many of us struggle with. She lived out her entire life there and when she died, she left one thing, a little book. She had written a diary essentially, a series of letters to her oldest sister who was the mother superior of the convent where she was. It wasn't intended to be a commencement speech. Really, she never thought anybody would read it but her older sister. But her sister read it and was so touched by her words that her sister sent it as a sort of death announcement to other convents in the neighborhood in France where they were. And those convents were so touched by it that they shared it with others and they shared it with some of the neighboring monasteries and they shared it with the priests who were preaching and the people there heard it and they sent it by boat across to the New World and by and by, in a world where nothing could yet go viral, Teresa's little book actually went viral. And thousands of people's lives have been shaped by her philosophy that's come to be known as the little way. 
that it's actually the little things we do for God with great love that can change the world. It's actually the words of little Teresa that we hear echoed in Mother Teresa's more famous quotes. She said, what matters most in life is not great deeds, but great love. It's little Teresa who led Mother Teresa in so many ways to become who she became. And the thing is that that sickly young woman who thought she'd never do anything big and meaningful with her life was canonized in 1925. And she was made a doctor of the church by Pope John Paul II in 1997, one of only four women in the entire history of the Catholic Church to be credited with having made such a significant intellectual contribution to the history, doctrine, and theology of the Catholic Church. You see, sometimes the little thing you do that you think nobody notices really is the big thing. So as the band plays for us, I just invite you into a moment of prayer and think about what the small things are in your life, the opportunities you have to make a difference. Read a book, Mother Teresa's words or Little Teresa's words. Volunteer to help out at Hot Food Pride Friday at Epworth this summer. Send an extra pair of shoes to a kid in need. We all have these opportunities. I just invite you to reflect on those as the band plays for us.